want to ask you to turn to two passages of Scripture, all right? Exodus chapter 18 and Numbers chapter 11. Exodus 18 and Numbers 11. We'll begin in Exodus 18, and then in the message we'll get over to Numbers 11. So you can put a marker or something at Numbers chapter 11 so you can flip there quickly, and then we'll come back to Exodus 18. I'm going to preach a message that seems may seem a little different to you at first, but I'm going to explain to you why I'm going to preach this. The title of the message this week is, What's My Job? And when I say, What's My Job? I mean, What's My Job as the pastor? I'm actually going to tell you what my job is. And you'd probably say, Well, I don't understand why you're telling me that. The reason is, if you don't understand my job, you won't understand next week's message, which is, What's Your Job? So next week, we're going to talk about what your job is. There are two ways to do church. There is a traditional way, and there is the Bible way. And we're going to talk about the Bible way to do church. And what I mean by that is, if you think that the people that you see on the platform and the pastors of the church, if you think we're the ministers, then you're mistaken. We are not ministers, we are equippers. As believers, we are ministers. Every believer is a minister. You are an able minister of the new covenant, is what the Bible says. You have a gift. God wants you to use that gift. You will be the most satisfied as a believer when you know what your gift is and when you're using that gift for the kingdom of God. And that's what I want to help you with. But if you don't understand that my job is not to minister as a pastor, my job as a pastor is to equip is to equip you for the work of the ministry. If you don't understand that, then you'll come to church week after week and you'll think, okay, their job is to minister to me, and now that's ministry. But that's not ministry. Our jobs are to equip you to do the work of the ministry. See, here's the reason that the church was dying for many years. The church was dying because they felt like there was a clergy laity. And that they were just to come and listen to the clergy do their gifts. Now, we've taken one step beyond that, but we're still not where God wants us to be. The one step beyond that is that we're beginning to learn that we have gifts as believers, and we're beginning to use those gifts. But the problem is that the majority of the time we use our gifts, we use our gifts to minister to one another. And that's only part of what your gift is for. The church is the most inwardly focused organism in the world right now. And God never intended us to be inwardly focused. He intended us to be outwardly focused. He intended us to be focused on those who don't know Him. And God gave you a gift, and your gift isn't to minister just to another believer. Your gift will work in the workplace as well. Your gift will work in your neighborhood as well. God's called you to minister. So I want to help you understand what my job is. And what your job is, alright? So this way we're going to talk about what's my job. Exodus 18, look at verse 13. Exodus 18, begin with verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses set to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. By the way, those are the traditional hours of a senior pastor. Those are wrong, by the way. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and His laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. 
both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You're not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice and I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. And then it will be that every great matter they will bring to you, but every small matter they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. Now look back at verse 18. It says, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. The Bible way of doing church is not only good for me, it's good for you. In other words, the wrong way to do church will not only wear me out, it will wear you out. If I'm the only one who can marry, and I'm the only one who can counsel, and I'm the only one who can bury, and I'm the only one who can come to the hospital, I'm going to get worn out, and you're going to get worn out. That's not what God's called us to do. This is why 90% of all churches in America are under 200. 90% are under 200 people. Because there's one guy trying to minister to 150 people, and he can't minister to more to that. And he doesn't even understand many times what his job position is. And here he comes and says, listen, this is going to wear you out, and it's going to wear the people out too. Think about it. If you were one of those people, the most statistics say that the nation of Israel was between 1.6 and 3 million people at that time. So let's say there were 2 million people at that time. Moses is trying to minister to 2 million people. Now, obviously, he was the, the largest church at that time, and that was good for the denominational records. And the Bible says that when they passed through the Red Sea, it was a type of water baptism. So Moses got to say he baptized two million people, you know, that year. So it was probably good for his reputation, but it was bad for his family. It was bad for his health. It was bad for everything else. So Jethro, his father-in-law, comes and says to him, listen, I'm going to tell you what your job description should be. And he gives him three things that should be on his job description, all right? Here's the first one. Number one is pray. Pray. Look at verse 19. Listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. Look at that. Stand before God for the people. So that you may bring the difficulties to God. Listen, he didn't say, stand before the people for God. Do you understand? That's the wrong way to do church. Where the clergy represents God to the people. That's what he said. He said, don't do that. He said, you're not supposed to represent God to the people. You're supposed to represent the people to God. That's your job, Moses. Your job is to pray. You're supposed to bring the difficulties to God. By the way, that's what prayer is. Prayer is taking your difficulties to God and leaving them there. If you don't leave them there, then you didn't pray. You just griped. You have to leave them there. That's what prayer is. My main responsibility is to pray. 
That's what I was called to do. Do you understand that that's the least thing that most pastors are allowed to do? Because they have to do everything else. They have to be there. They have to take care of everything. They have to be at every meeting. They have to administrate everything. They have to meet with every person that wants to meet with them. And the least person that they're able to meet with and spend time with is God. And that's number one. And I have had to learn that that is my main responsibility is to spend time with God. And it's more important than anything else. And it's very, very difficult. Because I love people. That's why I started the church. And that's I, I'm the one... Well, the phrase, we're all about people, I was going to say, I'm the one that came up with it. God put it in my heart, but it came through me. I said, let's start a church that's all about people, that wants to help people and minister to people and take care of people. But immediately, I found out my number one responsibility is not people, mine is God. And if I will minister to God and take time and spend time with God, the people will be ministered. And what I do is I'm not available. I'm sorry, I have a more important appointment than you. And it's with God. And it will help you if I spend time with God. I spend more time, more time, the most amount. If you look at my 50 hour a week work week, I spend more time praying and studying than I do anything else. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so I spend time praying. I pray for the children. I pray for the elders. I pray for the life group leaders. I pray for every person in the church. I pray. I've gone through our database before and called families' names to God that I've never even met. And said, God, bless them. Help them. Protect them. Bless their marriage. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. That's what I'm doing. I'm not supposed to be standing like this, basically representing God to you. I'm supposed to be standing like this, representing you to God. That's my responsibility, main responsibility. Here's my second responsibility. Teach the Word. Teach the Word. Look at verse 20. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. You shall teach the Word. Uh, many pastors spend about four hours on their sermons. I talked with a pastor one time. I said, when do you prepare your sermons? He said, Saturday night. Uh, and here's the problem, though. Listen to me. Don't get mad at the pastors. It's the system. They, many pastors, hey, you bring us fresh bread, but you also be in the office Monday through Friday. Well, how's he going to do that? My responsibility is to study the Word and spend time with God so that I can minister to you on the weekends and equip you. That's my job, all right? So that's what I do. Now, notice the two areas he told him to teach the Word in. He said, teach the people the way they must walk and the work they must do. I am to teach you the way and the work. The way and the work. The way we must walk and the work we must do. I have spent most of my preaching on the way we must walk. Most of my preaching is on character and us allowing God's character to dominate our character and our character to come into in, in alignment with His character. And on vacation, I said, Lord, I've spent most of my time on the way we must walk. I haven't spent much time on the work we must do. And by the way, that's what I came back with to the staff and said, I've got to, we've got to equip every person in their gift. We've got to get every person uh, ministering their gift, knowing what their gift is, and ministering. That's where we've got to focus this next year. But now listen to me carefully. I said, Lord, I've spent most of my time preaching on the way we must walk, not the work we must do. 
Have I, have I missed it? You know what the Lord said? He said, absolutely not. Before you ever preach the work we must do, you better preach the way we must walk. Because that is character. And if you have people ministering their gifts that don't understand character, you're going to have problems. So we have focused there, and we'll continue to focus there, but we'll also talk about the work we must do. That is the equipping side of it. That we walk the way God wants us to walk, we work in the way that God wants us to. And by the way, that message is next week. So you have to come back to hear that one. What's your job? That's the work you must do. Here's the third area on my job description. Raise up leaders. Look at verse 21. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now, I want you to notice these three things he told him to do. He told him, I want you to pray, minister the word, and raise up leaders. Pray, minister the word, and raise up leaders. Does it sound familiar to you? In other words... Is there a New Testament passage that says almost the same thing? Pray, minister the word, and raise up leaders. Let me show you this passage. Acts 6 verse 1 says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable or it's not best for you. It's not right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Look, here's the New Testament pattern as well. They come and they say our widows were neglected. It wasn't that the widows weren't important. Not at all. That's not what it was. It was that the twelve, the apostles said, that's not our job. That's not what we're supposed to do. It's not right. It's not best for you for us to leave the Word of God and serve tables. And many pastors have left the Word of God and serve tables now. And they said, that's not what we're supposed to do. But it is important. So let me tell you what we will do. We will appoint people to take care of that responsibility. We'll raise up some leaders to take care of that. We're going to give ourselves, though, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Pray, minister the Word, and raise up leaders. Now, flip over to Numbers chapter 11. Hopefully you just kind of held that right there. And I want to show you in Numbers 11... He, he's talking about he's got to raise up more leaders now. Numbers 11, verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me. Well, that's a, an expressive statement, isn't it? <laughs> they, they're not just weeping, they're weeping all over me, God. Saying, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you, now, verse 15, by the way, is the prayer of the burned out senior pastor. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I found favor in your sight, 
then just kill me, please. Don't let me see my wretchedness. In other words, when he said, if I found favor in your sight, here's what he's saying. If you like me, kill me. You'll kill me and you'll kill me quickly. If you like me. Do you realize that one out of every three pastors, the statistics say now, one out of every three pastors will leave the ministry? Why? I'm telling you why. Because it's an incredible burden. Because I'm not trying to take care of you physically. I'm trying to take care of you spiritually. And it is an unbelievable burden. And many, many times uh, uh, people, you know, when I hear things, here's what I hear. So-and-so is getting a divorce. So-and-so's father was diagnosed with cancer. So-and-so's baby's having problems. So-and-so, so-and-so. And it's a burden. And I'm telling you, if I don't take the difficulties to God, I, I'm not, I couldn't stay. Because I can't handle it. Because I love people. I want to see people minister to. I want to see people blessed. And I hear the good reports too, but the bad reports, they hurt. They're hard to hear. And you hear those things. And the way that you deal with it is you, you understand what your responsibility is. My responsibility is to pray, to teach the word, and to raise up other leaders. And to spread the leadership out. So he says, listen, I, I can't take it, God. If this way you're going to treat me, just kill me. And God gives him the answer. Verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people. By the way, it didn't say whom the people know to be elders. In other words, it's not a voting thing. It's the ones that you know, Moses, are elders. You gather those together and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. And then I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. That's what God continues to do as the church continues to grow. We add more pastors, more elders that bear the burden with me. And this is what he said. He said, bring them to the tabernacle. In other words, bring them into the presence of God with you. Bring them into times of prayer with you. I will talk with you. Raise up. That's the way you raise up leaders. You begin to bring them into God's presence with you. Show them what you do. And then you let them do it. He said that they may stand with you. In other words, give them some responsibility in the tabernacle. Let them do it. That's what we continue to do. Listen, don't wait until you get perfect to volunteer. You're never going to be perfect. And by the way, Gateway isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. We make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And if you're looking for the perfect church, this isn't it. And by the way, if you find it, don't join it because you'll ruin it. People aren't perfect. And what you do, the way you raise up leaders is you give them some responsibility and they make mistakes, but it's okay. We all make mistakes. I've been doing this the whole time I've been in the ministry. About a year after I was in the ministry, I led this guy to the Lord. He'd never been his church, in church his whole life. About him, I began talking about ministry and what God had for him. And about a month later, he said, you know what I think God wants me to do? He wants me to sing. I said, well, can you sing? That's a good place to start. If you think God wants you to sing, can you sing? So I listened to him. I said, why don't you prepare a song? I listened to it. He was good. He was real good. So I said, okay, I, this next Sunday night, I'm preaching in a small church. I'm going to take you and you can sing a, this song in, in the church. So he got all excited. I called the church. I said, okay, if I bring a singer with me. They said, yes. Well, when I got there, they thought when I meant singer, that when I said singer, I meant song leader. And they'd let their song leader off for the night. 
And so they came to this guy and they said, we're so glad you're here to lead the music tonight. And you know, he was a new believer, so he said, thank you. Because he didn't know what to say. So he came to me, he said, they said they want me to lead the songs tonight. I said, listen, it's okay. It's okay. We got about five minutes. Let me teach you how to lead songs. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I can teach you how to do it. I said, it's, it's, first of all, you have to know, and this is, we were doing hymns, you know, you have to know that to lead songs, you have to move your arms. You have to do like this, all right? Because if you don't do like that, that, you know, you're not going to be able to lead songs. You got to do this. And the way you do it is, it's like digging post holes. 4-4 four, four is breaking up the dirt and 3-4 is taking the dirt out. 4-4, four, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Just like breaking the dirt up. You got it? 3-4 taking the dirt out. One, two, three, one, two, three, one. You got it? That's all, that's all you got to know. I remember he came to me right before the service. He said, is this breaking the dirt up or taking the dirt out? And then, for some reason, when he turned to walk away, I said, oh, one more thing. I, I don't, I don't know why. I just was trying to help him, prepare him, give him all the information. We were Baptists. I'm not saying anything bad about Baptists. I love my Baptist heritage. They're great, great foundational in doctrine. And so, I said to him, oh, one more thing. I said, Baptists never sing the third verse. Is this true? Let me just see for a minute. How many of you know that's true by experience? Look at that. See? Baptists never sing the third verse. They all, and there may be other ones too, but I said they only sing first, second, and last. If, I, if there's a fifth, they don't sing the fourth either. It's all, just say first, second, and last. They'll know we're going to sing first, second, and last, okay? Well, he got a little confused, and so he got up and he said, you know we Baptists, he'd been saved a month, he said, you know, we Baptists never sing the first, second, and last stanza. We always sing only the third verse. And that night, we sang the third verse of every hymn. It was great. They'd never seen the third verse before. People came up to Metford and said, that was wonderful. I've never sang the third verse before. It's okay. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Volunteer, get involved, serve. God is bigger than your mistakes. He's bigger than your mistakes. Now, those are my three job responsibilities, but there's one more thing that is actually my first job responsibility that I'm going to tell you, all right? It's back in Exodus 18, and it's really where Exodus 18 starts, but I didn't want to start with it. I wanted to finish with it. And this is my first job responsibility, actually. To be a good husband and father. That's first. Be a good husband and a good father. Now, go back to Exodus 18 and look at verse 1. Exodus 18, verse 1. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. He heard because he wasn't there. How the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Very important. With her two sons, of whom the name one was Gershom, said, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. The name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help, delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, 
Moses' father-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he said to Moses, he's sending word ahead, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Now, here's something many people don't realize. On the way to Egypt, Moses and his wife had a fight. And he sent her back to live with her father. They were separated for part of Moses' ministry. And now Jethro's coming, and he's sending word ahead several times. We said it. We saw it in verse 1, verse 5, verse 6. I'm coming with your, I'm with your, I'm, I'm bringing your wife. I don't want her anymore. I, I gave her to you once, and I want you to keep her. And I'm bringing her back, and I'm too old for these kids. So he's bringing them, okay? I'm bringing your family back to you. Now, why? Why'd they have the fight? Why'd Moses send her back? And and what does this mean to us? Well, just flip back a few chapters, Exodus 4, and I'll show you the actual fight they had. Exodus 4, verse 19, says, Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life for dead. Now, if you're writing, you could let me just tell you four things that, that God gave Moses before he ever went back to Egypt. Number one, in verse 19, he gave him the mission. He told him what to do. He told him his purpose in life. Your purpose is to go back to Egypt because I'm going to use you there, okay? So he gave him his mission. Many people don't know what their mission in life is. God gives it to Moses in verse 19. Verse 20, then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. Notice he's got his family with him. He's going to take them with him. And he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. In verse 20, he gets his ministry from God. The reason he gets his ministry is two things. One is his family's with him. Second is because the rod of God. The rod of God refers to ministry. Now let me explain something to you. It, it was Moses' rod, and it was something that he had in the natural, and he was good at it in the natural. But it did not become supernatural until he laid it down. That was his rod. For 40 years he'd been a shepherd. He knew how to use that rod. He knew how to guide the sheep with it. He knew how to protect the sheep with it. And he had that, And it, but let me explain something to you. Once he laid it down, it was never again referred to as Moses' rod. It is always referred to from this time forward in the Bible as the rod of God. And when he laid it down, it was in the natural. When he laid it down, remember, it became a snake. And then he picked it back up. By the way, he picked it up by the tail because many, many, many men don't understand. When you lay your ability down, when you pick it back up, if you don't hold it by the tail, it'll turn around and bite you. And he, and many, many men have been bitten. Listen, and women, the, your greatest asset could be your greatest liability. My strength is my speaking ability. I understand that. But if I don't keep it in tow, if I don't keep it in check with God, it becomes a liability to me, not an asset. Many times I say the wrong thing because I have to keep my gifts submitted to God. You always have to keep your ministry submitted to God. So in verse 20, he gets the ministry from God. Verse 21, It says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Verse 21, he gets miracles from God. In other words, God said, See that you use all those wonders or those miracles that I put in your hand. Now, personally, I don't think God would have had to remind me of this. You know? God said, hey, hey, don't forget to use the miracles. Hey, don't forget the miracles. Say, I don't think so. I think I'd go into Egypt and say, hey, you want to see something? Look at that snake, buddy. (laughs) 
I probably would have been showing off with the miracles. By the way, it's very possible that's why we don't see a lot of miracles today. Because we might use them to show off with. God, and I do believe God still does miracles. And I believe He wants to restore them to the church when He can find the humble people that will use them right. But He said to Moses, let me, let, don't forget. Can you believe that? Don't forget to use the miracles. So He gets miracles. Verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Now watch this very carefully. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. Verses 22 and 23, he gets the message from God. He gets the message from God. And I just want you to notice his kindness and his mercy toward Pharaoh. He, the very first message Moses ever preached to Pharaoh was, if you don't let God's son go, he's going to kill your son. Pharaoh had ten opportunities to obey God. God was very gracious to Pharaoh and gave him many chances to obey, but he did not obey. He continued to harden his heart. Continued to. So, here he goes. Now, once you notice this, he has a mission from God. God gave him this mission. He didn't make it up. He has a ministry from God. He has miracles from God. He has a message from God. Now, wouldn't you think if you had a mission and a ministry and miracles and a message from God, you'd be ready to minister. But he wasn't ready to minister. Because look at the next verse. This is right after all this stuff. He said he's ready to go. Watch the next verse. Verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Now look at me. Look at me. I know you want to read on and see why. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. We're talking about Moses. You know, we're not, we're not talking about Elwood P. Suggins from Booger, Arkansas here. We're talking about Moses, the Old Testament type of Christ. The, the one who stood on the transfiguration with Jesus and talked to him. The one who's a type of the two witnesses in, the, in Revelation. Moses, that wrote five, the first five books of the Bible. And the Bible says that God met him when he camped out that night and sought to kill him. Not hurt him. Not correct him. Kill him. God was going to kill him and start all over. You understand Moses is 80 years old at this time? God has been raising him up for 80 years. God has been preparing him for 80 years. And God is willing to kill him and start all over with another baby in another basket. And go another 80 years. Why? Well, look at the next verse. Verse 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you're a husband of blood to me. So he, capital H, God, let him, small h, Moses, go. So God let him go. And then she said, You're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Why? Why was God going to kill him? Real simple. He was going to preach something. He wasn't living in his own family. See, he was supposed to reinstate circumcision to the people of Israel. They'd been in bondage 430 years through the Egyptians, and they quit circumcising their sons. And it was very important because circumcision represents salvation. See, God never cared about cutting the flesh off of a, of a, a son. He cares about cutting the flesh out of your heart. That's what He cares about. That's what it represents. As a matter of fact, even, there, even the Old Testament have all these scriptures where God says, I want to circumcise your heart. I want to circumcise the flesh of your heart. I want to take the old man, the fleshly man, out of your heart. That's what I want to do. 
So that's what he wanted to do. So that's what it represents. So God says to Moses, I want you to preach this. The first thing you do when you get those people out of Egypt is you circumcise them. So he's about to go back and preach it, and he doesn't even circumcise his own sons. And God stops him and says, you're not, you're, you're about to die. Because you're going to preach something that's not true in your family. And I'm not allowing that. So his wife steps up and cuts, circumcises her son with a bad attitude, a very bad attitude. And I'm not blaming her for her bad attitude, by the way. I'm blaming Moses because Moses could have taught her. She, she didn't know the ways of God. She wasn't even an Israelite. Did you know that? She didn't understand this. She didn't know what it represented. Moses had 40 years to teach his wife the ways of God. They'd already been married 40 years. 40 years he could have taught her about the ways of God. He didn't teach her. Listen to me. I'm not blaming Zipporah. I'm blaming Moses. I don't blame Eve, by the way. I don't know if you know that. I don't blame Eve. I blame Adam because Adam was right beside her. He should have killed the snake. That's what men do. Men kill snakes. We like killing snakes. He's standing right beside her while the snake is talking to her. He should have stepped up and said, don't you dare talk to my wife. Never. I'm not letting you do that. Now listen to me. Say, now why am I telling you all this? Because I just want you to know that my first responsibility is to be a good husband and a good father, and I'm not giving up my family for you. I just want you to know that. You're not more important than my family. And I'm going to take time, and I'm going to spend time with God, and I'm going to spend time with my family. That's what's most important. Because I'm going to tell you something. If I lose my family, I can't pray. I can't teach you the Word. And I can't raise up leaders. I don't have a platform to minister from. That's what's more important to me. Moses needed to understand that. Here's the sad thing. His wife and his sons weren't with him from chapter 4 to chapter 18. You know what happened between chapter 4 and chapter 18? All of that ministry in Egypt. The ten plagues. His sons never saw the ten plagues. The parting of the Red Sea. His sons didn't see the Red Sea part. In other words, his wife and his sons were not with him for the majority of his ministry. And remember, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that everything in the Old Testament is an example. It's an example to those of us in the New Testament. Do you understand what that means? In other words, it happened in the natural in the Old, but it represents something spiritual. So in the Old Testament, she wasn't with him. Is it possible then that a pastor's wife can be sitting on the front row of the church and not be with her husband? He's up there doing it, but she's not with him, and the kids aren't with him either. How come his two sons weren't the two good spies that brought back the good report? Did you know that his sons died in the wilderness too? I think his sons probably hated the ministry, and I think his wife hated the ministry too. And I'm telling you, that's where many, many pastors are, because they don't put their family as a priority, and they don't put God as a priority. And because of the structure, the old structure is killing them and choking life. That's why you got jokes about preacher's kids. Because preacher's kids hate the ministry because it took their father. And I'm not living that, and none of our pastors are living that either. None of them. I don't let them live it. I've told every one of our pastors, when you get a day off, you know what it means? It means a day off. Get away. Don't call them on their day off. Your problem's not that important. You didn't get in it overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. Wait till Monday. Is that okay to tell you that? 
Moses didn't equip his wife. Years ago, Debbie and I talk every night. At the end of the day, it's kind of our time to just talk, you know. Years ago, one night, she said to me, can I ask you to do something for me? I said, sure. She said, would you teach me how to hear God? She said, you talk about how God speaks to you and God tells you this and God tells you that and about all these scriptures God gives you. She said, I don't know how to hear God. I don't understand that. Will you teach me how to hear God? I said, yeah, I'll teach you. The next morning in my quiet time, the Lord brought that to me and said, you know something that's sad, Robert? You travel all over the country and teach people how to hear God. That's what you do. You teach people how to hear God, and you hadn't taught your own wife how to hear God. And that day I said to the Lord, never again. Never again, God, will I teach something publicly that I'm not teaching my own family. Listen to me. This is my job. My job is to be a good husband and a good father. My job is to pray. My job is to teach the Word. And my job is to raise up leaders. And if you want to know why I'm telling you what my job is, because next week I'm going to tell you what your job is. And we need to raise up leaders. And guess where I'm going to get those leaders? You. You can be a leader in God's house. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to ask the Lord what He's saying to you through this message. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? Think about it this week. Go back and read the Scriptures. Look at them. Are you being a good husband? Being a good spouse? A good wife? good mother? good father? Don't, don't, don't condemn yourself. We can all do better. But are you making that a priority? Are you spending time with God? We all have to spend time with Him. And are you willing to be a leader in the church? Not just someone who attends but someone who gets equipped for ministry. Lord, I pray you would speak to every one of us here and minister this word personally to our hearts. In Jesus' name.